Welcome to the teaching ministry of Dr. Fred Lowry, illuminating God's Word for today's world. The choice, the Word of God, or the world. The choice, Christ, or culture for us. We can choose Christ. Americans are the whiniest people on the planet. You can't go anywhere without hearing somebody whining. And the poorest of the poor in America have it good compared to the rest of the world. Two billion people this morning do not have electricity. And they've never had it. Probably never will have it. 791 million people are hungry this morning. And many of them will starve to death. We, the wealthiest, are the whiniest. We who have the most, listen to me, we who have the most, complain the most. We whine about traffic and trains, and I'm there with you. I mean, I have done my share of whining, and I'm, I'm working on me. I can't work on you, but I'm working on me. I'm, I'm trying some things at the trains. Uh, if Lee is with me, I kiss her, and we, we talk about anything but the train. And if she's not with me, I just try to think of how many things I can thank God and praise God for before the train gets by. Now, I'm doing fairly well with that, but when the train stops and then it backs up, that's where I backslide totally. I, that's, I'm in big trouble there. But it's so easy, and, and in traffic, you know, and of course, the, the latest whine now is road rage, and you have to be careful out there because people will shoot you. Uh, so that's helped me, you know, not say some things right there. I just... Uh, but it's so difficult to be out there in the traffic and see things that people do. And I, I, I get frustrated with women, and I know men do a lot of crazy things too. But men don't talk on the telephone and put on their makeup and drive at the same time. Men do not do that. But some of you do that, and so it's so easy to whine and complain about traffic and about trains. George Carlin says, the idiot behind me is tailgating. And the moron in front of me is driving too slowly. Also, politics and public servants. It's so easy to whine about people that uh, serve us and work for us. You know, our president, George W. Bush, people whine and blame him for absolutely everything. They, They even blame him for the weather for tornadoes, and for global warming. Because it's so easy to to whine. And to be honest with you, you know, uh, I watch Fox News uh, to to get the the news as I think it ought to be given. Uh, But many times I have to, uh, and the last time I mentioned Fox News, somebody wrote me a letter and said I shouldn't mention that. So uh, don't even mail it this week because I I said it again already. Uh, (laughs) But... Sometimes I just have to turn it off because all I'm hearing is whining. 
and the, they have two people on opposite sides that are trying to outwind the other. And sometimes, it, you know, a whine is like a siren, an irritating noise. It just, after a while, it just will drive you crazy and you just want to go out and get some fresh air or something. But politics and public servants. And then food and finance. Now, when we get hungry, especially men, uh, whining can flow freely. Men get kind of, you know, when, when, they're, when they're hungry, they, they say things that they wouldn't normally say otherwise. They get PMS, pre-meal syndrome. It's a... <laughs> and and when, when I go to restaurants, I get, you know, uh, it's so easy for me to whine at restaurants because, uh, and I apologize in advance for those of you who, who work in restaurants, uh, uh, and I know that you're, you're different but it seems like uh, service has gone out the window somewhere. And, and in these stores I want to, I, I, where you can't find anybody to wait on you, and now they're all going self-service, and that machine acts like a machine so much of the time. Uh, so it's easy to, uh, to whine in, in those situations. You think about it. When I go to a restaurant, I wait to get seated. I wait to get a menu. I wait to get the order. I wait to get the drinks. And then I wait to get the meal. And then I wait to get the dessert. And then I wait for the bill. And they have the audacity to call themselves waiters. I'm the one doing the waiting. (laughs) Seven times I've waited already. And it's so easy to whine in those situations when whining absolutely does no good whatsoever. And since I've been doing this series, I've had so many opportunities to whine. It just seems like God is testing me, and over and over the people around me are saying, if it's not one thing, it's another. Lee and I, last Saturday, we were coming home from Austin, Texas, and it was like 1.30 in the afternoon. And at 1.30 in the afternoon, now when I'm driving, I get sleepy. And so I was really sleepy, and I couldn't let Lee drive because she was passed out on the seat there. She, she was, uh, so I decided to, I read this thing about McDonald's coffee, uh, that it, it won one of the taste tests. Uh, you know, and I'm a Starbucks guy, uh, but there's no Starbucks out there, so... I said, I'm going to pull into McDonald's. And so I have to go pull off the interstate into McDonald's. And I go in there, and I get in this line. And I mean, it's like about eight of us in the line. And there are two lines, four cash registers, but two lines. Go figure. And so I'm in this line. I get up to the, to the counter, and the guy says, I'm sorry, we're out of money in this cash register. You've got to get another line. Now, that, that didn't set very well with me. But now I've already pulled off the interstate, and I've already taken all this time. I've already spent that. So I go and get to the back of this line, and I stand here while they wait on about three or four people. And now they get money over here in this cash register, and now these people jump in that line, and here I am waiting again. I stay in that line whining, and I whine all the way up to the counter in my mind, and I ask for a medium-sized coffee black. And he says, sorry, we had not made the coffee yet. Well, I go back and get in the car and get back out on the interstate and I go to the next town and I pull off and I go to McDonald's and I go in there and there are just three people ahead of me in line and I say, this is, this is cool. I got it made. And so 
I get to that counter, and just as I get to the counter, I look over there and see the coffee pots are all empty. And I said, you don't have any coffee? Do you? Oh, we hadn't made the coffee yet. 1.30 in the afternoon, uh, I would think you would have coffee. So now, I, I am at least a little more awake now. <laughs> and Lee is awake now because she's heard me whining. And so I pull in a shell, fill it. I said, I'm going back to the old plan. I'm going to the filling station. They got coffee. And so I pulled in the filling station and, and got me some coffee. But it's easy to whine about food and finance and about weather and wickedness. You know, it's, people are seldom satisfied with the weather. I mean, we just like to whine about it. If it's raining, we're whining because it's raining. If it's not raining, we're whining because it's too dry. If it's cold, we're whining. And if it's hot, we're whining. We just, we just whine about the weather. And you think about it, that's all wasted energy because... Up to now, my whining has not affected the weather at all and probably won't. Wickedness. You know, we like to whine and complain about such terrible wickedness in our world. And, and we could whine and complain because it is terrible. But, you know, one of the reasons we whine and complain about the wickedness is to put up a smoke screen because we want to emphasize what's so bad in the world to cover up what's not so good in us. And so we just whine about it. We don't do anything about the evil in the world. We just whine about it. I like Victor Bilt's book. Uh, I like his title. Quit whining. Change it. Leave it. Accept it. At least just shut up. Well, that's straight to the point, but he has, a, he has a strong point. Not only are the Americans the most whiny people in the world, on the planet, but Baptists are the whiniest of all Americans. Not only that, we're the fattest. We even whine about that. Well, I'm too fat. I'm too fat. Change it or accept it, but shut up. How many of you have ever lost a pound complaining about it? I mean, you say, well, I'm just, I'm just getting too fat. And I don't know why you say that, because nobody's right mind is going to say, you're exactly right. <laughs> but it's so easy to complain and yet not do anything about it. I read a little cartoon, saw a cartoon of a lady standing up in a church prayer meeting. And she was praying. And she said, Lord, I lay before you. The prayer concerns voiced this morning in this room, even though most of them sounded like whining to me. How many of our prayers even sound like whining? When you got up this morning, did you rise and shine or rise and whine? You know, how you began the day will greatly influence the kind of day you have. See, how you began the day is so important. If you begin the day whining, I guarantee you the devil will give you enough that day to keep you whining all day long. Because the moment you whine, you open the door to Satan to give him an opportunity to play in your life. I heard about one husband who had a whining, complaining wife, and she died. And so he had a couple of years of peace, and then he died, but before he died, he he told them what to put on his tombstone. So on his tombstone, these words. Here lies my wife and me, side by side, asleep in peace. When resurrection morning comes, if she gets up, I'll just lie still. 
I guess he was saying it's better to go to hell than to go to heaven with a whining, complaining woman. I wouldn't say that, you understand, but that's what he seemed to be saying. When you got to church this morning, were you in a whining mood or a worshiping mood? You see, whining and worship are incompatible. You can do one or the other, but you can't do both. You can't come in here and whine and worship at the same time. If you're going to worship, you've got to leave your whining off. And yet, people at church whine all the time. And it's, a, you know, it's just a normal thing. You whine about the music's too loud or it's not loud enough. The speaking's too loud or it's not loud enough. The sermon's too long or it's not long enough. Not many of mine are not long enough, but... Fred's not preaching this morning, or somebody else is preaching, or the building's too hot, the building's too cold, the seats are, I mean, just whining. And we got a handful of people, they just whine all the time. They've become addicted to it. But what I want you to realize is you have a choice. When you come to this place, you can whine or worship, but you can't do both because they're incompatible. That's why many people come to church and leave the same because they don't really worship God. They don't really get with God. Because when you get with God in worship, what flows from you is thanksgiving and praise. Because let me tell you what I deserve is hell. Anything short of hell is grace. And from my heart should come gratitude and praise to the Lord. For many it's easy to whine when we're waiting on God. We want God to hurry up and answer our prayers. We want God to do what he's supposed to do by dark 30 or at least by Friday. And when he doesn't, there are three things that, that we do. First, we start wondering. Well, what is God up to? Is God going to do anything? Why hasn't he done something? We're just wondering. And then we start worrying. God, where are you? Don't, don't you know what's happening? Don't you know what's going on? Aren't you cutting it close? Aren't you going to come through? And then we move into whining. God, where are you? Why don't you take care of this situation? Why don't you fix this problem? Why aren't you doing something? Why don't you bail me out? Why don't you get me out of this situation? But listen to me, God is never late. He's never early. He's always on time. And one of the main reasons I believe God is not answering our prayers on our timetable is because he is waiting for our hearts to be prepared for him to do what he's going to do. Because he knows there's some work to be done. Now, James 5 verse 9 says, don't grumble about each other, my brothers and sisters. And that's a word that all of us need to take to heart. Habakkuk, that's a great book to read if you want to see the perspective of whining and crying out to God and waiting on God to do something. Habakkuk gets tired of God not acting 
And he's whining and he's complaining and he's saying all the bad people are suffering and the good people are getting wealthy and the bad people don't have anything. The rich get richer, the poor get poorer, and it's just not right. And in verse 2 of Habakkuk 1, listen to what he says. How long, O Lord, must I cry out for help, but you don't listen? Ever felt like that? How many prayers do I have to pray, but yet you're not listening? Why are you silent? And then Habakkuk, after presenting his case to God, he went off by himself and got alone with God and got quiet and waited to hear from God. Verse 1 of chapter 2, I will climb up into my watchtower now and wait to see what the Lord will say to me and how he will answer my complaint. You see, what we do is we ask God for answers, and then we jump right in back into our busy life and noisy lives, and we couldn't hear God if he said anything. See, we throw the, all these prayers to God, and then we walk out and just live our lives. But we've learned, over, we've, we've learned in God's Word that God speaks with a quiet voice, the still voice. And if we're distracted, if we're... If our lives are filled with noise and distractions, God may be speaking, but we cannot hear God speak. Let me mention five things that should really concern you about whining. The first is that whining is detrimental to your health and happiness, and it negatively affects those around you. See, whining is something you can't do in you say, well, it's hurting nobody but me. No, it affects those around you. The second thing is that whining is highly contagious. Whiners carry this uh, contagious toxin. And you can catch it from others, and others can catch it from you. If you are running around with whiners, may I just tell you that if you're not already a whiner, you will be one. Life is too short. Don't run with whiners. You say, well, I don't want to hurt their feelings. Well, sometimes you have to do what's best and what's right. And maybe you not ever help, help them until you pull away. Because if you run with negative people, you're going to come out negative. If you run with whiners, you're going to come out a whiner. It's highly contagious. You see these people, you know, washing their hands all the time because the germs that are out there. Some people even wear masks. You have to protect yourself. Thirdly, whining is inconsistent with a biblical view of Christian living. You read the Bible, whining should not be a part of our lives. Number four, if you constantly whine, you actually become, you actually come to believe what you're whining about. And number five, whining becomes an addiction that is difficult to break. That mountain they were singing about a few minutes ago, move that mountain of addiction. Whining becomes an addiction. It becomes a mountain in your life that God wants to help you move. 
So today and next Sunday, we're going to talk about what is whining and why, why we do it and what God thinks about it. How can we quit it? How can we become a winner rather than a whiner? How can we stop whining and start winning? Because if we're not careful, our mouth will get us in a whole lot more trouble than our minds can get us out of. The Bible says, bring your mouth under control. So what is whining? Let's begin there. We go back to Webster, the dictionary, to utter a high-pitched plaintiff. Uh, a high-pitched cry or whine. Like an irritating siren that just goes on and on and on and refusing to stop. That's what whining is. Whining is known by several words that have that has the same symptoms. Complaining, griping, grumbling, belly aching, and that Old Testament word, murmuring. That even sounds like what it is, murmur, 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 murmuring. So all of those words, really, we're talking about the same thing. So whining is an expression of discontent, of dissatisfaction, and of unhappiness. Here's my definition of whining. Whining is the outward expression of inner discontent. Anytime somebody's whining, it's the outward expression of inner discontent. Now, what, why do we whine? We whine because we have issues. That's why we whine. You see, it's the, the expression of what's going on inside us. We have a choice. All of us have issues. All of us have baggage. We have a choice. We can either deal with the issues or not deal with the issues. We could deal with what's going on in our inner lives are not. But, but if we don't, if we don't deal with what's going on inside us, eventually it surfaces as whining, complaining, grumbling, murmuring. See, see when, when you're around somebody, they just, they're, they're just spewing out this negative stuff. The problem is internal. They've got real issues inside, and it's coming to the surface. Unforgiveness, bitterness, resentment, unbelief, doubt, jealousy, hurt. You've been hurt deeply by somebody and hurt people, hurt back. These are issues within us and if we don't deal with them, they come out in whining. Whining is clothed with impatience and intolerance and irritability. To be honest, the bottom line is whining is annoying and it is petty and it is distracting, whether you do it or I do it. Whining simply doesn't work. And I say it doesn't work. I could make a little disclaimer there because it does work temporarily because some of you with your whining kids, you have whined back. And you whined louder and stronger, and maybe you had some temporary results there. But whining kids uh, will drive you crazy. 
It's like that irritating siren. And kids learn how to whine very early in life, don't they? I heard about one mom, and I'm not, I'm not saying this. I'm just telling you what I hear, and I hear a lot of stuff. I read a lot of stuff. And this woman, when her child whined, she went and got the whine juice. And the child had to drink some whine juice, which happened to be vinegar. So I don't, I don't know what y'all do about that, but I'm just telling you, this is, whining does nothing. It solves no problem. It makes no situation better. I, I mean, have you just, you know, your group just sits around and whines and whines and whines, and then you say, we just feel so much better now because everybody's just whining. No. Because it absolutely doesn't make anything better. It's an exercise in futility. And at the root of all whining is selfishness. That's why babies and children whine. That's why when Baptists are the whiniest people in the, in the country is because we got a bunch of baby Baptists who won't grow up. Hello? We're whiny babies. Some of you have been a Christian 20 years and you're still a whiny baby. We're not growing up. You see, it's one thing. We're, we're fairly patient with children who whine. But with a person who's 30, 40, 50 years of age, you don't expect that whining to come. So we, have, we whine because we have issues. The second thing is we whine because we're selfish. Someone said the tiniest package in the world is a person all wrapped up in himself. And that's so true. Whiners are self-absorbed, self-centered. They have an attitude of entitlement. Everybody's to take care of me. Everybody's responsible for taking care of my needs. What can you do for me next? A selfish person thinks first and last and always about himself. Selfish people are whiners. And when you think about it, even when you hear adults whining, it sounds a lot like those whining cries of children who want their own way. And what we need to understand is that negative thinking and whining have the power to take up residence in every cell of our being. And we can become negative people. So why do we whine? We whine because we have issues that we need to resolve. Second reason, we whine because we're selfish. Third reason, we whine because we are unhappy with God. You may not want to admit this and deal with this, but a lot of whining among church folks is rooted in the fact that they're unhappy with God. An unbelief in God's word. We know what the Bible says. We know what it says about whining. We know what it says about praise and gratitude. And so... We whine because we struggle with the truth of God's word. Or we have an unhappiness in, with God's work in our lives. We feel like God is better to our neighbors than he is to us. You see, we had caught up in the rat race. We've talked about that before. Because the air of finance, it's so easy to, to whine. And... You know, we whine and we work to try to catch up with our neighbors. And by the time we catch them, they refinance, and there we are all over again. Or the wife is whining that she doesn't overspend. Her husband just under deposits. 
so it's so easy to to get into that but the root of it is of our unhappiness with God we don't want to let God be God we don't want to just turn our lives over to him and say I want to, I want my life to be like Jesus Christ I want his attitude I want to be positive like he was positive when he was on this earth. In the Old Testament, what does the Bible say about whining? Let's look in the Old Testament, Exodus 16, verse 8. Moses also said, You will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Psalm 106, 24, then they despised the pleasant land. They did not believe his promise. They grumbled in their tents and did not obey the Lord. So here it's the issue is the Lord, not obeying him, not believing him. And even though he's giving us all these things, we still whine and complain. Numbers 11, 1, now the people complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord. And when he heard them, his anger was aroused. Then fire from the Lord burned among them and consumed some of them on the outskirts of the camp. Now, what if God all of a sudden consumed the, the people in this room who are whiners? I don't think we want to risk that, do we? Numbers 14, verse 2. All the Israelites, how many of them? All of them grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt. Now, God had delivered them from slavery. He had delivered them from the Pharaoh, rescued them from Egypt. He had worked miracles in the crossing where the waters parted. He's given them bread from heaven. Water, he's meeting their needs. And yet, what are they doing? They're grumbling and complaining. If we'd only died in Egypt or in this desert, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? After God had done all of this, complaining, whining, our wives and children, we've taken us plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? How long will this wicked community grumble against me? I've heard the complaints of these grumbling Israelites. So tell them as surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very things I heard you say. Listen to that. God says you have whined and whined about these terrible things, this terrible thing that could happen to you, that you would die in the wilderness and not even get my best, not get the promised land. God says, I have heard you grumble and complain. Now I'm going to give you what you have been whining. You're going to die in the wilderness, every one of you, under a certain age, and you're not going to see the promised land. In this desert, your bodies will fall. Why? Self-fulfilled prophecy. He's giving them their own whining. Every one of you 20 years or more old was, who has counted the senses and who has grumbled against me. Every one of you will die in the wilderness. In the New Testament, Paul warns about whining and complaining over and over. And tells us that it gives the, the devil a door an open door into our lives because Satan thrives on an atmosphere of griping and complaining and whining. 
Philippians 2.14. Do everything without complaining or arguing. It doesn't say most things. Do everything without complaining or arguing. Now remember this. The root of whining is selfish discontentment. Paul says in verse 11 of chapter 4, I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. And then in 1 Timothy 6, 8, but if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Paul said, you know, I've had, I've had good times in my life. I was content. I've had some bad times in my life and real bad times. And I was content because it was inner contentment having nothing to do with external circumstances. See, if we're content on the inside, we're positive on the outside. If we're discontent on the inside, we're negative and whining on the outside. Hebrews 13, 5, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Do you understand you need God plus nothing? God's word says be content. If you have God, then you be content. You have that inner contentment. And then Matthew 12 gives a strong warning. It says, I tell you the men will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word that they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted and by, and by your words you will be condemned. See, listen to me. When you whine, you become a part of the problem rather than a part of the solution to the problems. Whining solves no problems. To resolve issues and solve problems, you've got to do something other than whine. You've got to engage. You've got to initiate. You've got to do some action. You've got to ask for God's help. I wonder how many times we have missed God and miss God's best. How many times have we missed seizing God's divine opportunity for us? Because we were so whining about what could happen or what might happen that we missed hearing God and we missed doing what God wanted us to do. How often have we whined when we could have won? The winner responds. The whiner reacts. The winner strives for excellency. The whiner strives for mediocrity. How many lives in this room are mediocre lives because they've settled for less than God's best? God wants you in the promised land. God wants you to live in victory. God wants you to have that inner peace and inner contentment and yet it's not there because you're whining there's a fascinating story in chapters 13 and 14 of 1st Samuel I'll just have time to say a word about it but so all Israel heard the news Saul has attacked the Philistine outpost and now Israel has become a stench to the Philistines and the people were summoned to join Saul at Gilgal Philistines assembled to fight Israel with 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers and soldiers as numerous as the sand on the seashore. That's a lot of soldiers. That's a lot of chariots. 
Now, when the men of Israel saw their situation, these thousands of soldiers, all of these chariots, the weaponry, when they saw that, they went and hid in caves in the rocks and in pits and behind bushes, anywhere they could find a place to hide because they saw the situation and they went in to, to hide. So Saul now counts his men. He has 600, including the king and his son Jonathan. And not one soldier, not one of the 600 had a sword or spear. The enemy had the weapons. They had the iron, but not Israel. So Israel was outnumbered, outarmed, outpositioned. Israel was on the low land, the enemy on the high ground. They had weapons, Israel had no weapons. But you see what we're about to learn in this story, it's not how many are against you. It's who you have with you. And whose you are. So Saul and his 600 men, actually 598, when you take out the king and his son. What are these? See, see, all this crowd of soldiers ran and hid. He's left with 600. Now what do they do? They go hide under pomegranate trees. Pomegranate trees and they whine about the odds against them about the mess they're in. I'm sure blaming God, blaming everything but themselves. You see, anyone can lead when it's easy, but when you're outmanned and outnumbered and the enemy has the weapons, that's when real leadership comes to the forefront. Jonathan comes out of that crowd as the leader. Jonathan slipped off and got his armor bearer and says, come on, let's go. We're going to the Philistine outpost, and we're going to face them. Two guys, Jonathan and his armor bearer, going against this enemy that had all the weapons. When the men of Israel saw their situation was critical and their army was hard-pressed, they hid in caves and thickets among the rocks and pits and cisterns. Some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan to get out of the land entirely. But look what Jonathan said. Come, we will cross over toward the men and let them see us, the ones who have the weapons. Let them see us. If they say to us, wait there until we come to you, we will stay where we are and not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, we will climb up because that will be a sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. You're talking about a huge army with weapons. You're talking about two men. But Jonathan thought he had a word from God. He had a plan. And so he, he gives the test. The men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan and his armor bearer, Come up to us and we'll teach you a lesson. Come on up here. We who have the weapons will teach you a lesson. So Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Climb up after me. The Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Don't you love that? I mean, here are two guys. Against an army. The army has weapons. And they go up there and confront the army. And they say, 
Come on up here. We're going to teach you the biggest lesson you've ever learned. We'll show you our strength. And Jonathan got excited. Isn't that great? That's what God said. God's going to give them to us. It's a done deal. Then the men of the outpost shouted, Jonathan, his armor bearer, come up to us and we'll teach you a lesson. So Jonathan said to his armor bearer, climb up after me. The Lord has given them to us. And Jonathan, his armor bearer, killed some 20 men on a half acre of land. The first group they met, they killed. It's not about how many, it's who. Who is with us and whose we are. Then panic struck the whole army. Those in the camp and field and those in the outposts and raiding parties and the ground shook and it was a panic sit by God. All of a sudden, this army panics and it was like an earthquake, them trying to get away from two men. Where were the other 600? Hiding under pomegranate trees, whining. Where are you when there's a battle to be fought? Are you on the front line saying, if God says do it, I'm there? Are you hiding under pomegranate trees, whining? And if that's where you are, you miss the victory, you miss the joy. He was speaking to us Wednesday night on Gideon, same situation. Where he had this army of thousands, like 32,000 God said, you've got to get it down, get it smaller, get it smaller. He got it down to 300. Because it's not how many, it's who we have with us and whose we are. Who do we belong to? I am a winner, not a whiner. And as a winner, I will choose to be positive and affirming. We hope you were blessed by our program today. If you would like a copy of today's program, go to www.fredlowry.com where you can find this program and other Christian resources by Dr. Fred Lowry. 